0: He does a hip-hop ad um, on his Instagram live and if you all ever get a chance to um, join in or either even just kind of look him up I promise you you will not be disappointed this man has blessed so many people in education um, and not just education just all over he's been um, he's been an advocate for education for so long but I do want to open up by talking about um why we are here our purpose and i've greeted you all and then we're going to get a chance to kind of introduce ourselves and then i want Dr. Um, Emden to kind of share with us for a few moments and then we're going to move move on but i think what we know at this point because we've had so many um, questions about what we're dealing with now while we are in the midst of COVID-19 a lot of the questions are you know looking at what are we gonna do now, you know, and then after. What is education going to look like? And I think one of the things that we've noticed, and I think you all can agree, is that COVID-19 has really exposed a lot of existing problems in education. Can we all agree on that? we see like a lot of inequities happening. Um, It kind of puts a mirror in the front of our faces, um, really that magnifies those inequities in our school systems and in our society, to be honest with you. And so I think too many of us have, um, and when I say us, I mean general, I'm not talking specific to the people here, but I think we've allowed this to go on um, to exist without question. Um, I know a lot of you are advocates um, for uh, equity uh, in education, but somehow it missed a whole state or a whole world nation until this came about all of a sudden it's in our face whether we're talking about technology whether we're talking about funding whether we're talking about student or parent involvement whatever it is it's, it's here now it's in our face and it's something that we really do need to address and so before I go any further I do want Dr. Emman to kind of share with us what he is what he's thinking I don't see you I see your name but there you go I'm here there you go I want you to kind of share because I know tonight is one of your big nights as well and I don't want to interrupt your night as, as uh, too long, but I do want you to share with us um, a little bit about what you're seeing, what your thought processes are concerning where education is, and then where do you see it going post um, COVID-19?
1: Uh, sure, sis. I just wanted to begin by, um, by expressing my deep appreciation for you inviting me to share some words, and I know that you have some really expert folks who are on here, already some names that I've seen that I'm familiar with, in particular, my brother Peter. Peter and I are really, really good friends. And so that's, that's the homie. And so to see him here in this space means a lot. And, and, and there are names of, of, of folks here that I, that I respect your work. And I know that you guys are all in, in one locale. And you know, whenever I come to engage in a conversation with folks who are experts within their own specific domain, I certainly don't want to come in in any way to. Um, to, 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 I want to be respectful of folks and their expertise in their, lo, in their locales um, as I share my thoughts on, on this issue. Um, my, my general thoughts are just like, listen, you know, what we have here um, is certainly a pandemic, certainly a horrific situation. It's certainly one that should give us all pause. But in the midst of that, I want to say that what we also have here is an immense opportunity. Um, I think that for the first time in a very long time, people are recognizing. The kind of inequities related to health in our communities and when you're unveiling inequities as it relates to health the next dimension is, is how those things get played out in education i think for the very first time in a long time we ha- we're having a collective national reset button on education yes. um, and an opportunity to be able to sort of reimagine how we do things some of us who have been doing this work in stem for a long time i've been saying we've got to start looking at how we go online and offline in a concurrent way we have to start incorporating critical media literacy because these platforms are where the young folks are on. And the folks who have been archaic have been saying, no, we can't do that. Let's keep doing the same thing. And now all of a sudden, you know, in the midst of the sorrow is possibilities because the young folks are letting us know that this is where they are at. Yes. And so for me, it's like, how do we concurrently honor the fact that we have these traumatic circumstances? And those of us who are in this world are looking at the immense opportunities that are being provided because young folks are leading us in amazing directions. Uh, Another thing that's happening that I think we're not really focusing on is that even in the midst of the inequities as far as how we're able to reach everybody who's able to get online, we have young people who now, for the very first time, are actually engaged in school. The sites of school have been traumatic. They don't like going to school buildings because of the way that they've been treated. And now that they don't have the, the physical space and the traumas associated with the physical space, to inhibit them from engaging, they're actually benefiting from the fact that we have these new avenues to be able to engage. And given that that's a reality, we have to be able to sort of like be nimble enough in this moment to reflect back to what these young folks are telling us. If a young person for the very first time in the midst of trauma is not being able to get online, is the first one in the Zoom meeting, and they were not engaged in school before, that is highlighting the fact that something was going wrong in school before. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's to demonize anybody. But it's for us to be able to say, OK, given that reality, what can we learn from this space and from this moment? And, and then the other piece of this is that a lot of folks are so hyper-focused on technology. Like, um, you, know, tech, not, you know, we can't get to these kids because of technology. Yes, a reality. But it's not the moment to stop playing the same blame game you played playing in an offline education on online education. You know what I mean? Like, we was blaming folks before. Can't blame folks now. How about now we start being really innovative? And sometimes the biggest innovation is not new technology, it's practices that we abandoned that were working. Yes. The most powerful thing I've seen so far in my conversation with teachers, y'all, believe it or not, has been viewed through US mail and postal service, where educators have been mailing letters to young people. <laughs> young folks are writing letters back. And the turnaround in as quick but at least we're engaging. And this is a moment for a Malcolm X type approach to teaching and learning by mm-hmm. any means necessary to engage and connect with young folks. Mm-hmm. And that philosophy is being risen right now. And that's the philosophy that we got to take when we get back to them in real life in a couple months from now, because yes. it's going to happen. Yes. And so for me, you know, I'm looking at this moment with this dual, um, with this dual perspective. Of, of being of, of recognizing that a lot has been shattered, but the the, 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 the immense possibility. Yeah. Um, yo, if your educators ain't on TikTok right now, and ain't on Instagram right now, and don't got Twitter groups right now, I mean, it's like, yo, why can we not be innovative in this moment? This, this is our season. Mm-hmm. And, and then my last thing, and, I'll, and I'll, 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 I'll pass this on, is, and we all know this ain't the time to keep doing what we've been doing, but most importantly, not just been doing sort of philosophically. I'm talking about been doing as far as content.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: The educators in this moment who are relying on the scripts of curriculum as a mechanism to keep going online like they were doing when they were offline. Listen, we're, we're highlighting amazing teachers right now. We're also highlighting those who ain't, who ain't ready to get with it. If you're relying on your curriculum in a moment where we have this stuff going on, something wrong with you. I mean there's no other way to say it, right? And and this is not to say that young folks should not be getting content knowledge expertise, but this is the time for us to be able to get them to have a a uh, to, bu- to build to build their knowledge and passion for the discipline. You don't have to rely on the script no more. So now it's about like Peter, Peter and I, Peter and I have had this conversation a number of times about math. The reason why young folks don't express don't express resilience and quote unquote grit, There's a, I have a theory on grit, it's a dog whistle that's been utilized to be able to say that young folks of color lack a pursuance of the knowledge. And it's a, it's a, it's a nice way for kind white folks to say they don't work hard enough. But that's a whole other conversation for another time. But this, this, <laughs> this idea, grit is not a function of ability. Grit is a function of, the, of the, either the presence of or the absence of passion.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Anybody who's passionate about something will work hard at that thing until they understand it. And so in this moment, we've got a school system where young folks have not been expressing this resilience around content knowledge acquisition because of the problematic nature of teaching and learning. So our job now as content experti- experts is not to keep pursuing the content, but to start teaching a desire and passion for the content that will last longer than COVID-19. Mm-hmm.
2: And so right now,
1: stop with the minutiae. So I'm talking about the beauty of mathematics, right? The, the, the complexity in chemistry. You know, the beauty and prose in writing. Mm-hmm. And reconnect back to the passion for the discipline writ large so that it will sustain and activate the resilience that already exists in those young people. Yeah. Um, so those are just some general thoughts and words. Um, and I'll, I'm going to kick it for a bit just to, to build with you guys. And again, I ain't got the answers. I'm just a person who, who's in pursuit of better for baby, for our babies. Um, and I wanted to just thank you again for the invitation and... And I'm going to just kick it in the backdrop and, and, and hopefully contribute some more if, if you guys want to hear more from me.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Listen, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at um, the responses on Facebook, and clearly they believe you a preacher. Um, you, get a lot of, <laughs> they, you get a lot of amens. You know, you're getting a lot of, uh, of response um, along that line. And I thank you so much. I think everything that you said was so timely. Mm. Anybody want to add?
3: I was was just going to add that energy that he's given, you know, you and I know what it's like to see him in person. (laughs) So he's just (laughs) just giving that energy. And I remember when we went to that conference and we were in just such an awe at at being in there with you, the the energy that you was given is just amazing. So I know what it's like now to, to see it online, but just being there just makes it.
0: So much more
1: special. Yes, awesome. uh, I appreciate that love, y'all. And I, you know, I think the beauty of this is we. None of us would be on here having this conversation or responding if we didn't all have this passion for our children and for this work. And you know, I just have to always remind myself of that. You know, we are a bunch of educators of color who are taking out our own time to engage in this conversation because we care. And the larger narrative about us as educators of color and about our babies is that we don't care. And every time that there is an issue where there's trauma around teaching and learning, we always step up. And at this point, we've got to get to the point where we're no longer looking for those who've constructed narratives about us that say we don't care and that our babies don't care. And they don't have to be a part of the discourse anymore. You know, the, the one thing about this moment is that we could, we could create a whole North Carolina-wide school system that is being guided by the folks who are on this platform and don't ask nobody else for no permission because we don't need a building. Yeah, It's all digital. And we got and we got all these smart and passionate folks who are here and the babies who are waiting for us. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I just think that, that, you know, again, that's the beauty of this moment. The beauty of this moment is that we could reimagine this on our own without them. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's powerful.
0: It is powerful. It is. Listen, I'm going I'm to let you talk, Mr.
4: Ford.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw your head kind of going. I'm like, yeah, he ready for it.
2: Yeah, you know, um I I just wanna again appreciate being able to be in this space. I need a I need a I need a space to be able to um uh to be able to like really dream wildly mm-hmm. right now. And I appreciate the framing of opportunity. Um not to diminish obviously um you know the calamity that's being caused here, but uh it just seems that, you know, as a historical trend, that as black folks uh, some of our greatest progress has been made in moments that uh, were unforeseen. And in those moments, we seized upon the opportunity to be forward-looking. And, you know, you know, I'm on record, um, uh, you know, as a state board member and as an educator before I was ever on a state board and saying that, you know, before COVID-19, the school system wasn't serving our kids well. And so um, when we illuminate all the inequities that have pre-existed in every other system, um, I've, been, I've been arguing for a long time that as much as we focus on criminal justice, and that's an issue that we you know that deserves to be organized around, as much as we focus on housing, and that's an issue that is deserving to be organized around, as much as we focus on healthcare, that to me the understated area where inequities persist and people are really robbed of opportunity is in the education system. I mean, you gotta think at least through K-12, you spend seven, eight hours a day, who has greater interface and greater time outside of family with young people than the education system. And so for me, I've always been concerned with the inequities, you know, beyond just like, you know, who's in the school building, whether segregated or not, but really about how uh, education opportunity is distributed or not distributed and what that does for people's long-term life consequences. And that's where a lot of kids of color before they become adults of color have been robbed of opportunity before before they ever mature. And so now we're starting to see like, okay, there have been folks who have been getting left behind despite the fact that we passed legislation that declared we weren't gonna leave nobody behind, right? <laughs> and, and, that it's, and that it's inhumane, yeah. that, it's, that, it's, that it's egregious, that it's actually criminal.
0: Yeah.
2: But much like we've done in times past, right? When the country fought a war over our humanity, right? We emerged from that, and we created our own systems, right? Yeah. When they were saying these narratives about us that we couldn't be taught, that we weren't interested in learning, we, we emerged out of this first of all we had been stealing away figuring out how to learn on our own right before any of that happened mm-hmm. but what emerged out of that was this is people began to see that there was an insatiable desire even with folks who didn't have formal structures to learn and to to acquire learning and so i'm, I'm just I'm, I'm asking myself okay if that's if that's in our dna that's who we are and that's our history how do we come out of this can we hold uh you know to borrow a phrase can we hold the state's feet to the fire to make sure that they make good on something that constitutionally Leandro has already proven and weren't doing anyway. And uh, I gotta be careful because you know, <laughs> I'm on the state board of education, but I mean, that's what the court said, right? The court said that we were not providing kids with a sound basic education. Mm-hmm. We know what kids those were primarily, not exclusively. So can we in this moment really seize it and say, all right, it's been laid bare, right? People's actual lives are being impacted. Uh, let's totally radically reshape education in the way that it's supposed to be, where it goes beyond just, you know, content, but where it really applies to the lives of the people. Like Chris is from BX. One of the greatest teachers is the master teacher, KRS-One, who has always talked about, you know, the application of what he would do with education if he had the opportunity. Why don't we start dreaming wildly right now? Like, what should kids be learning coming out of this, for real, for real? Yes, they learn that you know, all the typical stuff, but what do our kids, according to the logic, they're gonna have to navigate um, in this, you know, wildly racist, capitalist, you know, what do they have to learn and navigate to come out of that? And can we follow in the traditions in the past uh, that have been laid for our ancestors and, and by our ancestors? And in some ways, can we can we make the path by walking, you know, in in, in an era where you know, the best years and a place where racial equity and, and true parity really exists has not been imagined, but maybe we can make it materialize. I want us to take license, you know, not wait for anybody to tell us now is the time. But let's start dreaming right now about what that looks like. And instead of accepting the fact that, like, you know, whenever we see achievement or opportunity gaps that we always expect our kids to have at the bottom, we know that's never been an indication of their, their aptitude. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with them? Let's fix it going forward. That's that's what I want to focus on.
0: Yes,
1: man. And I, and I know I'm dominating it. Please forgive me if I'm not. I was just so moved by everything but before it said. And okay. I just want to keep this practical as well as philosophical because he just inspired me so much. And I think that you know, what we start teaching them in this moment is what's been missing in the curriculum. And guess what's been missing in the curriculum?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Knowledge of self, mm-hmm. the, 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 the successes of African-Americans, in math, science, and technology since the beginning of time, a connection back to the continent of Africa and what melanin means to your genius and your brilliance, like the understanding of what it means to be melanated folks in this world, American history and what it has done for us and what it's not done for us and how we can reimagine that going forward, social justice and advocacy, uh, the absence of uh, uh, countering misogyny as it exists in our communities and what it means for us as men of color to uplift our women and our sisters, but we can do all of that in online learning, in history, in math, in English and social studies because in each of those content areas, there are significant contributions of folks of color that have been erased from the curriculum that young folks will never get. And the reason why it's been erased is because if it was present, the relationship of those young folks to those subject matters would be drastically different. So, so, Brother James, I'm thinking right now, as we dream wildly, it may be that in the dreaming and the content areas, it is a reclaiming of our identity in the curriculum. And that we talk to teachers about what they do online about res- the restoration of knowledge self.
2: Mm. I want you to know, that. Oh, okay, go, okay. Ahead, go, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say uh, very specifically, okay? Um, North Carolina is about to adopt new social studies standards okay i don't know if y'all have been paying attention to this okay and so as we talk about seizing upon knowledge of self and making sure that we're centering those people who have been pushed to the margins in the historical discourse right and frankly we've been obscuring right some of the unflattering you know what i'm saying aspects of like, let's just call it what it is that's like the ground that we like that's that's a tangible area that we can fight on right now but in all the areas from curriculum to you know, uh, uh, you know who's who's in and in, in sits in the seat of instruction, who gets access to the rigorous courses, and y'all know, like outside of the um, state board posts, like I'm, um, I'm the executive director of the Center for Racial Equity in Education, and we look at top to bottom, like where is this showing up, right? It's not just you know whether a school district is segregated. It's all those things that, that, that Chris just mentioned. It'd be great if we could start organizing right now, because I, I, I'll be honest with you, I really hate like fighting on my heels all the time like you know you might sneak you might sneak me one good time and me fall back right but at some point you have to square up and like anticipate what's coming down the pike and I really want us to seize this moment to start doing that and saying what do we want let's start progressing forward to that so I appreciate you lifting those
5: ideas uh I want to I want to and good evening to everybody. And, um, you know, Aggie Pride, by the way. Uh, see my brother out there with the, <laughs> see my brother out there with your favorite state. Aggie Pride,
0: Aggie Pride. need
6: students, man. I need a new black
5: mind. Aggie, Aggie Pride. Not, not even about that tonight. He's a lot of best. a lot of best. Oh, that's Shante. Hey, Shante. Aggie Pride. I was like, I think, OK, all right. So I just want to, I wonder how different this conversation would be if there were other uh, races and ethnicities represented on this panel. Because, and I'm going to give Ms. Grant an opportunity to answer this question
0: publicly, 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 publicly. Yeah.
5: Um, you know, what, was this intended mm-hmm. to be a discussion about reimagining education for Black and Brown children?
0: No, not initially. It was not.
5: And so, um, I mean, could you enlighten us? Is, is is was it intentional that the contributors to this conversation are all people of color?
7: No.
0: So I'll, and I'll get in and get out of it, and then I'll let you 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 continue. So I invited.
7: You can go ahead and walk through it.
0: <laughs> so just for clarity, um, you know. I know an array of people and I know you all know that they say, you know, I know everybody, but of course, you know, I just don't know black educators. Mm -hmm. So I invited about six or seven of my other colleagues, Mm -hmm. white colleagues Mm -hmm. um, and no one accepted. They, they have been, um, kind of liking my post, um, even in the, um, the uh, messenger, you can kind of see where everybody kind of drops down, so you can see who saw it. You know, so they've been there the whole time, um, but they weren't able for whatever reason to accept.
5: Wow, and and you know, um, I am delighted t- to to hear you speak to that. Um, I am I'm discomforted by the reality uh, that you just shared with us uh, because, uh, like Brother Ford. Um, you know, I sit on a state board as well. It's not (laughs) relative to education, it's relative to uh, the criminal justice system. However, uh, when I enter those spaces um, as an advocate for um, the citizenry of the state of North Carolina, all people, um, I do realize that most of those rooms and spaces um, where those meetings and where, you know, those discussions are being occupied are not uh, leaders of color. The majority of those people, um, the majority of those thinkers, the majority of those impactors um, don't look like us. Well, what does that have to do with what he's saying? Uh, Brother Ford said we should be be organizing right now. And I certainly agree with what he's saying. But the the name of this this town hall is reimagined. And and what I was thinking as um, brother Chris was, was going, was talking as a, you know, really speaking to a lot of things that resonate with me is who is gonna be doing this rethinking? Because we know that while we all are invested in education, there is still a deficit of people of color that occupy our classrooms, that occupy our boardrooms, that occupy our administrative uh, offices and so on and so forth. And, you know, brother Chris, I believe what you're saying, but I'm also hearing a different chorus on my end. And I'm hearing this from not just people of color, parents of color, but also um, uh, white parents as well, that their kids are having a hard time being engaged. And as a former classroom educator, I know that there is a disparity, there is an achievement gap of people of our students who are who were in in person not as engaged. And I'm wondering how that's going to impact how that is impacting our children from a distance with the leaders of those classrooms had a hard time engaging our children in in the flesh. Now I'm wondering, are they going to fall in that gap where because they didn't, or let me just speak in real time, because they are not uh, answering the emails, because they are not showing up for the Zoom classroom sessions, are they just going to be written off? Are are they, hey, well, they didn't show up, so I don't know what to do at this point about them. We got to keep moving. I'm Mm. telling you that is already happening. And so with Brother Ford and so many of you all, um, I believe we got superintendents in here, just everybody in here is, is high stock. We need to be thinking, who is actually going to be doing this rethinking. And I want to assert that it's probably not the leaders of the classroom as much as we want. Uh, it to be.
6: So um, something I've been wanting to say here as we talk about all this. Hi, I'm Peter Ely and thank you all for having me. Um, one of the things that, that I look at really critically is the teachers. And right now, I think, especially in North Carolina, we need some brave administrators. There's some teachers who need to just go home. There's no question about it. They're not getting the job done. We have the data to say they ain't getting the job done. But yet we won't fire them and we keep keep them year after year after year. And they are part of the problem. And um, with that, some of it's because, you know, lack of training and lack of resources, but like we're saying, some of them just don't even have that passion to even be there. They're there for a check. And as soon as this thing is over, as soon as their lottery entry is over, as soon as their Teach for America is over, as soon as whatever the Jamaica Connection is over, they're gone. And those kids are left with that hole in that gap, trying to build this relationship with somebody who they know it's not going to even be there the next year because they only, there temporary. I've spent some times um, in, even in North Carolina, where there were teachers who were, teaching people who didn't say fancy, they were teaching math and they had a history degree. And then yet we tell our kids that we, we are serious about them doing well in education. We're serious about them doing well in this math. But we can't even get them somebody in front of them who even know the content. You know, he's going off based on, and I'm telling you what I know, not what I heard, um, um, based off the content that he knows. So now he's in there trying to fill his gaps and the principal's like, well, this is the best I can do because of all the other politics that are at play. Yeah. So we're the space right now, if we talk about reimagining education, when we going to reimagine it from the point that we're going to actually have teachers in there who can um, match up with the students. Um, I came up with the idea we were looking at, how can we match student learning styles to teacher t- teacher styles, right? There's certain teachers that all of us probably have engaged with. Why? Because their teaching style matched up to your learning style. Why can't we be intentional about that? And they was like, oh, Eli, you about to open up a whole Pandora's box. That's too hot. Why is it, I I thought the whole point is, you said you want the students to achieve. If you have somebody in front of you who can get the students to achieve, then why are you putting them in a box and keeping them from blossoming while you put all the resources and money and time and effort to somebody else who's not getting those same kind of results? And we see this time and time again, especially with our students of color, is that the reason they will get on a Zoom meeting, the reason they will um, get onto the, the Facebook or whatever the case may be is because they engage with that person. There's something about the way that person is engaging with them, whether they um, meet them in their community or the way that they explain things that kids get. I'm one of those ones. I've had one black math teacher of color and people ask me all the time, how do you end up being a math teacher? It was an Indian guy. He, he just happened not to be black. And it didn't matter. Why? Because I liked him and I ended up learning like cricket and all this other stuff, Right. But it was because he, he, he reached me in the area where I was because I enjoyed his teaching style. So a lot of this, we, when we look looking at our teachers, we have not made a serious commitment to our teachers in North Carolina in, North Carolina in particular. Um, and that, you know, we, we take them any way we can get them. You know, some of them come back, you know, Larry Entry, some of them are great teachers. But a lot of them, you know, they just do the best they can based on what they know. And then we'll go in here and, um, and you know, these will come up, you know, they just got fired from Walmart or whatever. And then they come right in here and say they got a degree and we stick them right in the classroom because we need a body. So we get to the <laughs> point that we just filling up classrooms because we need a body versus putting somebody who's qualified in front of the students. Mm. But then the first thing they say, oh, well, we don't have people who qualify. Well, if we pay them a little bit better, but we all know money is the minimum of that right money is nice but do you treat your people well do you give them the resources they need do you give them a decent classroom where they ain't got to fight bugs and ants and roaches and, and all kinds of stuff y'all seen some of these rural communities now especially in eastern north carolina that they they gotta worry about man they got make sure they ain't got a copperhead in the room before they get in there then that morning so we have these kind of issues Yet yeah, we ask them people to come teach our kids and and sacrifice their lives to come do this space and we don't even do the, the basics. When last year, from my understanding, we had a surplus in this, um, um, in this state, but which is probably gone now, but we had a surplus, yet we refused to even get in. We was at a stalemate all year long to the point now we don't even have the money to probably do anything. So these kind of things and these issues about reinvesting into our teachers, those who are already there who are serious about the space, those who are ready to go home, go ahead and send them home or make them retire. I mean, I know you can't make anybody retire, but put some things in place and and I know when you get in that, people say, like, oh, Lord, Eli, you're going over here. How do we evaluate them and how we do all this stuff and all that? The evaluation part is not as hard as we make it. We make it so political and we make it so hard to get rid of anybody. That's why we get the problems that we have because they, get there, said, they get, get there and they get their friends and they get their cronies and then like people who can really be effective in the space are shut out because of all this friend and this network and this politics and all this stuff. So this company is getting richer by doing this and this one's coming over here and doing this PD and we all know the stuff didn't work. But then they'll go over to Missouri and you pay somebody $50,000 to do something that you already know don't work. And to this day, nobody's proven to me they have a PD that actually works. But yet we don't hold them accountable. We pay the $25, dollars to come in here to work with our teachers. And then they leave, they leave rich and we leave poor, both in knowledge and in money. So hmm. nobody's growing. And we have not held anybody's, like you said before, we didn't held anybody's feet to the fire on that piece like, okay, if you come in and you didn't get a certain thing done, you owe us some money back. Yes. So that's what I would be saying. If I went and paid for something I didn't get, yeah, you gotta give me some of that back, dog. You see what I'm saying? So, why are we looking at it that way? we talking about reimagining. It? Okay, you say when we leave, you can, at minimum, you want us to be able to have this. And if we don't have that, we got some kind of prorated thing. Will you pay me some of that money back? Well, I hold it as a retainer. Because if we're going to be serious about this, this is reimagining. This, this is dreaming wildly that I'm actually going to hold somebody accountable for what they said they're going to do. <laughs>
8: That's to me
6: what it boils down to the end of the day. This is about accountability, period. Do I do the right thing because it's the right thing to do for our students and, 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 and the people of the state of North Carolina? Dr. Eden,
8: I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see I could if I could jump in real quick um, and just say, you're making a great point because you start reforming education by looking at those who are educating our kids. That's a big thing. I spent 22 years in Northeastern North Carolina. Um, I've been in classrooms, I understand what it's like to be an administrator trying to staff a building um, with people who don't want to be there necessarily. Um, We have to answer that question first. We've got to build capacity and people who want to be there. That's the first thing. Um, And then we have to identify folks that don't want to be there. Um, Long time ago, 22 years ago, I started as a lateral entry teacher. Um, and, and I, I fought and coached and scrapped and I worked for Dr. Uh, Monica Smith-Wolfter and you know I learned a lot of things and it was people like her along the way for me to help build my capacity um, to so I could be where I am today and, and try to get further along. Uh, but when we look at this, we have to really look at our classrooms and say, are we as administrators evaluating people properly? That's what's one thing, you hit on that and that's the truth. Um, A lot of times we don't get truthful evaluations because we're fearful that we won't be able to start years with full staff. So you put up with some things as an administrator that you probably should not put up with. Um, And to start the process, you know, I was a middle school principal for six and a half years. And I will tell you this, it is not, I don't wanna make the excuse for anyone, but when we start talking about putting people on plans and, and running the process, working with uh, different companies and I don't want to throw anybody's company under the building uh, under the bus tonight because that's not what I'm about. But when we start dealing with things like uh, Teach for America and, and, and different companies like that, you're talking about building the rapport with kids in order for me to be an effective leader of any type. Uh, in order for me to lead my departments that I, that I had in Warren County, I have to be an effective leader, and I've got to build reports with my directors, and I've got to build reports with those people in my departments. You have to do the same thing in the classroom. What we're trying to do is we're trying to cram curriculum down teachers' throats, and we're not teaching them how to build reports with students. Um, they don't know how to build reports with students of color. They don't know how to build reports with students that come from the projects or that come from the sticks. They have no clue of, of how to get them. Once you get a child to, to love you and understand you, they will learn from you. Um, it was uh, um, yes. Rita Pearson said, students don't learn from people they don't like. And, and a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're trying to drill them with right. ABC123 and, and we don't even know their names so you know before we can go grand we got to start with some building blocks and get people to understand that how we staff our buildings are very important and kids know when i became the football coach at northwest halifax i walked in and my students looked at me and they said are you gonna be here next year so when you walk into a classroom and a child looks at you and says that's the first question they had not your name not what plays are we gonna run are you gonna be here next year yeah i'm gonna be here you sure this is a tough school well i'm a tough dude all right. When you say that, now I've got you. But yeah. it's, that's not written in a manual. And so if we're going to teach people how to teach children of color, we need to write a manual for how to build a rapport from children who are living with grandparents. Uh, the governor's call back in March said 60 percent of kids in North Carolina live with a grandparent. I had no clue. Statistics for that high. So our kids come from different homes, different styles of homes, and we have to educate our teachers, our administrators, our deans of students, our SROs, people who interact with them every day, our bus drivers who can set a child off before they ever get to a school building. You know, before we can get those kids in a building to teach them, we got to teach all of these people, this is how you build a rapport with them. You know, and I speak as an educator, but I also speak as a parent. I got a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. And dealing with them dudes are different this is a different time and a different era from where i grew up man it's not the same so you know when you deal with this you have to learn how to build a rapport with folks before you can jump on the curriculum train and, and we're going to turn this and we're going to break this and we're going to do that i got to get a relationship with you because truth be told and i'm gonna shut up after this the reason that all of us are on this call tonight is because all of us have a relationship and a rapport with Kenya Grant. Kenya Grant didn't invite anybody up here who didn't have a rapport. She didn't have a rapport with that she couldn't talk to that she didn't feel comfortable with. So the reason that we're all up here is because she impacted us and we impacted her. So we have to take those mm-hmm. same style relationships and make that happen in the classroom and in schools.
9: the Good. Hey, I could, jump um, in there. You um,
3: want to go ahead? Huh? Okay. I was just going to add that I, I feel like I kind of been on that end, being in the building, um, working with new teachers for the last five years. But I also want to say that, um, Mr. Ely, you made a good point about the accountability and saying what's right and what's wrong. But sometimes even when you say what's right and what's wrong, what's shot down then? You know, there are many times that you speak up about what your needs are, what you really need to do. And yet, you know, you don't get the resources you need. And you said something about resources the other day, I mean, a while ago, and I'm just thinking about not just school resources, think about the fact right now that Northeastern North Carolina barely had, a lot of places barely have internet capability. So we're talking about Zoom and things like that and giving kids Chromebooks, but they're offline or the static is going in and out, they're freezing. So how are people really gonna be innovative when that part right there is a barrier. So just in the northeastern part of the state, we're suffering with all the things that you all are saying, getting people to come here that really don't want to be here. Um, Resources not only in the schools, but just resources that we need in general. Now I live in Pitt County, but I work in Terrell County. And, and I've always worked in Northeastern rural, North Carolina, and I've seen these challenges on all ends, being a teacher, being um, a, a principal, um, being working down central office. There are always barriers to these things. And there is sometimes things have to come down from, from top down. There are some things that we just can't fix, even with the best administrator, with the best culture. Right now, if you don't have internet, what are you doing? But pushing paper, how innovative can you really be on
6: paper? And hey, you're right. I mean, I think before you got on, um, Mr. Stewart and I was having that conversation, and it was a piece I was telling him that I just wrote here recently about those. I call them internet deserts, and um, and we've known that for a while especially in Northeastern North Carolina. I mean, I'm a, product, I'm a product of Vance County, so I know Northeastern North Carolina well, and I went to Elizabeth City State, so I know them streets well in and 158 and, and all down to Terrell County and all those places. So I know what you speak of very, very well, um, but that's why this is, when we talk about these resources that were available, we are talking about um, why aren't we investing in broadband, and, and uh, I think it's a group, Dr. David Padgett, out of Tennessee State. Um, he's one of the African-Americans who's been pushing this, and before COVID came, we was talking about getting more internet access in these different areas and, and building rapport with these companies. There were several grants out there that, um, they were frozen. I can't remember exactly why that was actually speaking to building, being able to put more towers out there and do this. So I understand exactly where you are. And, and I agree that is a, you know, an issue. Um, but I also like the thing that, you know, that I thought Dr. Emden brought up today that I never even considered he was saying that people went back just to the U.S. Postal Service, so it's almost like they do a correspondence courses. But I know for some of my students, then they still need that that push or somebody that look over the shoulder for accountability for them to make sure that they do what they're supposed to do. And sometimes, as I think I can't remember who said it, uh, somebody said that they was the statistics come out that a lot of them living with grandparents and things of that nature right now. And we understand those who were raised by grandparents or those who had them, you know, they can do so much they can do, but they in bed by eight o'clock and you up the rest of the night doing whatever it else is you want to do, which is probably getting in some trouble. Um, so I do agree with you, but that's the thing. When we start this conversation, we have um, gentlemen like um, what's that, um, Greg and James who have a platform that can start addressing these things more direct with the governor that they hear from us, and we as a community support them. They say, okay, yeah, what um, Dr. Um, Ford was saying, what Dr. Drumwright is saying, yeah, these are issues, and I can send you over to Miss Boone, and she can show you directly. I can send you over to Oliver over there, and Terrell, he can show you directly. This is why these kids are going to be even further behind. Because I'm talking about, you know, we always talk about the education gap. I'm thinking after this, we're looking at the education canyon. Yeah. And this thing is going to be so big that we're not going to fix it in my lifetime and probably a couple of <laughs> lifetimes to come.
9: One of the things, if I could, I was going to jump on the port to Dr. Stewart and Dr. Ely talking about. First of all, good evening, Kenya. Thank you for uh, putting me up here and allowing me to be in this room with such these uh, great people. I'm looking across this board. I got to step my game up. But one of the things that 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 I find just sitting in this seat and having the pleasure to be in this seat is we can talk about all the resources. We can talk about all the strategies to train. But we've got to go back to what I call as the crux of the matter. And that's getting our brothers and sisters to respect and come into the field of education. One thing that uh, that I see uh, we, have, we have diluted the profession um, to not even want our people to go into it anymore. And so I go back to the time of recruiting and welding. And you know, I would go and sit between Wake County and Virginia Beach count uh Virginia Beach City Schools. And I would see candidates by droves, and none of them were black and brown individuals. And so now, being in one of the smallest districts in the state of North Carolina, and Boone, I think if I'm correct, I think we, we have 33% African American students, but I only have three educators in my district certified that are of color, um, and two of color, of Latino descent. And so when you go out and you start recruiting, and and I I kick my own album model for this, and Peter don't tell them, but I give them hell in all of our conferences and conference calls when we do have them. Our universities that born and bred all of our educators have shifted to different platforms. And so now when we go to recruiting the state of North Carolina and Stewart and and, and Dr. Woofta and all the other educators at Ford knows that we're running to outstate these students. And if you're recruiting at App State and ECU and you find an individual of color, I'd pay you uh, a, a, a good dollar for everyone that you see. And for those that you see, I guarantee you, we can't keep them in the state of North Carolina. So, you know, I think that, that we're on the right path as far as the, the conversation. But when we start talking about reimagining education, I think it really comes down to fighting to have this profession protected and then making it a profession, as our parents and grandparents knew, so that it's worthy of being in it. And, and I, I just think that that's where we've got to start and then add the other pieces to it because you and I both know in this room, it is very hard in East North Carolina to recruit. And it is even harder to recruit individuals of color. I want to drop in right here.
0: Um, oh, good yeah. Is that too
4: much status? Are you getting a lot of feedback from me? What about next? I want to jump in there because um, this was brought up earlier in the conversation. As we talk about um, the Leandro update 20 years later, one of the number one areas of concern that were identified is the reason we have so many black and brown children failing in the public school system is because there are not enough black and brown professionals mm-hmm. in education. When we reauthorized teacher fellows, because, you know, that was taken away back in 2009, 2010, when the majority took leadership in the um, North Carolina General Assembly, one of the first things they removed was teacher fellows. We brought back teacher fellows two years ago, but we specified that it's for STEM as a priority. And out of the five schools that were authorized to offer teaching fellow scholarships, not one of them was an HBCU. There was very little geographic diversity. We Mm -hmm. had to fight to even get a school authorized in Eastern North Carolina. So based on um, what Judge Manning has, has shared and based on the analysis, The number one issue of priority is increasing the minority presence in public education. When we look at the profession as a whole in North Carolina, our um, K through 12 education, the student population is upwards of 75%, almost, Black and brown children. And the profession itself, in terms of the number of educators that we're looking at, particularly Um, Amongst the ranks of principals and assistant principals, we have less than I think it was 17% I want to say. And when you have that many of us understand we benefited. We were inspired by having at least one African-American teacher. Um, the statistics show that those who are college completers had at least one Black teacher in their K-12 through formative education. So we are on to, to something when we talk about um, building capacity, but we also got to increase our enrollment. But most of all, what this have, pandemic has um, shown me is that we have got to reach out to our stakeholders and our partners, we have got to go back and revisit building a strong education, um, a cultural heritage and education, for lack of a better way to put it. We have so many um, resource limitations in Eastern North Carolina. We're going to have to rely on our churches to set up a hot spot so that students can come and access, not only access the technology, but also retired educators or educators who have some volunteer time. We're going to have to come in and help our students facilitate this process. We have several school systems talking about not being able to reach their students. I think it was um, an article in the Winston-Salem Journal. Winston-Salem, the school system there, could not reach 5,000 of their students. They haven't heard from since school closed. And so I can only imagine what that number looks like where you don't have broadband con- connectivity. So as we're reimagining education, we know what is an immediate need is for us to get a hold of these students who don't have the technology access, and it's gonna have to take a whole lot of passion and a whole lot of love. Everybody on this panel, everybody in this discussion, I'm recognizing all of the names. Many of you I have worked with, whether it was through public education as a teacher, as a professional, or through the General Assembly by representation. And the one thing that we can all agree on is that there are resource limitations, that we need to hold somebody accountable for. We need to hold our legislators accountable. As we look at this COVID recovery package, and I was going through the education provisions, we did not allocate enough money towards technology um, through online learning, through professional development. You wanna talk about building capacity, that's hard to do when you don't have the dollars and the appropriations to provide the professional development to your staff. When we look at, accountability. You know, we can talk to the governor and tell him a whole lot of things, but the governor can't get anything done outside of the General Assembly providing the appropriation. And so when we are looking at the accountability of who we need to contact and who we need to leverage and who we need to um, start talking to and having these conversations, we need to have a big town hall discussion, virtual discussion about appropriating um, enough money to have teacher fellows programs offered at Fayetteville State University, offered at Elizabeth City, offered at our HBCUs. I mean, it, it, it's like we—it's uh, maybe a lot of it is that we're not aware, but some of it is frustrating in that we are not standing up and holding people accountable. But we're sitting back and allowing all of the accountability to fall on the principal and fall on the teacher. And not enough accountability is going to all of the other stakeholders.
3: If,
1: if, if I may, I real quick, because I'm, I'm about to bounce. Luke, everybody jump
3: in.
1: I must I, 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 I promise I'm going to be real quick, and I'm going to let y'all rock. I promise, because I, I, prom, I promise. I promise. I just want to say uh, w- w- one quick thing, because I, I think that and it might be perceived as a little bit radical, but I think we're in this moment where we have to be that radical. And I'm gonna say some things that might not be read the right way, but but please trust my intention behind it. Here's the thing if if the reimagining and redreaming is reimagining and redreaming within a particular construct that was designed to ensure that all the possibilities have been covered not to fix it, it ends up being an exercise in futility. Meaning, they're folks who've designed the infrastructure to ensure that when folks are thinking about pushing back against norms, there are things in place already there to curtail it. Now, that doesn't mean that like Brother Greg and Brother James who are at that state level cannot be working on that policy stuff and, and pushing back. I think that there are folks that need to do that work and it's essential. But I think that what is essential in this moment is how do we create and outside of the established structure reimagining that can complement what's already at place. I I remember when Brother Andre was talking, like, listen, there are things in schools and in systems that we need to be able to address. So let me dream wildly to take Brother Ford's idea a little bit. If every single school also had an online ideal case scenario structure of pre-recorded videos, of all the folks that we know know what they're doing that has um that has resources from folks all across the country speaking directly to those young folks who've been most marginalized That literally that if you have xyz elementary school there's xyz elementary school offline with the best teaching resource the best exemplars and all we got to argue for like sister erica was saying is making sure we got a hot spot in the hood somewhere or in the stick somewhere that everybody could come to but the young folks have outside of the structure outside of the norm outside of everything our own community digital school all we got to work on is online the best teachers best resources professors phds all folks of color representation etc so that young folks can go through the structure of schools as we're trying to tinker that thing to get it right It's going to take some work as we're tinkering towards utopia in a traditional school we have our own in this season reimagined space that we can send our young people to, that can supplement what's happening or not happening in the existing school. My, my, my notion is this. Reimagining how to be free within an infrastructure designed for you not to be free becomes an exercise in futility and a waste of brain power and resources. Wow. Let the folks with the political power, like the two brothers we got on here, battle a lot with them. And trust that Brother Greg and Brother James, if they on this Call or gonna be giving them hell in the state house. I need that, <laughs> and, and, and as they're doing that, I we start working out this reimagined new possibility,
5: and at some point, they can converge to create new futures.
0: Yeah, and Senator Smith, she Senator Smith, errors. Senator, yeah.
5: that's the one who got all the power. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's Erica. I'm sorry, Erica. Yeah. Senator Six.
5: Smith. That, yeah. Listen,
1: and, and and we got the senator, and we got folks on the state. Like, y'all y'all going to do what y'all do. I trust that. I'm just saying to Bob, Brother Andre, man, you in that school doing I, that work. I, I could tell. You. I could hear your frustration and your voice. We ain't getting the right teachers. Brother Peter saying, like, we can't even get the right recruits. We know who could be engaged. Guess what we're going to do? Get A right, and we know what's popping. We're going to do an asynchronous, off-online,
4: NC-wide,
1: yes broad cultural religious curriculum and we're gonna get the funding from the state house to do this digital thing and the argument we're gonna make is look we COVID's going on. What if we got another COVID? We need to be able to fund this new outside of school structure and then have that new structure be reimagined. Cause the way they done did it already? Listen, that new report, yeah, I read, right. I, read that, I read that report and I said, y'all took this long to figure out inequity? You know it's like
5: by the time they catch up to that, it's 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 it's, it's Look, that system is rigged, y'all. Chris, brother Chris, I hear you. And I wanna hear more of our sisters speak. So I'm just gonna, my comment is gonna take 15 seconds. Yeah. I feel you, brother. I'm with you, brother. But as a pastor of a church and in my church, I have about 15 educators, all right? Some certified, some being certified right now, teachers and so on and so forth. I just wanna know who's gonna pay those Wakanda educators? Who's gonna pay those hood educators? because they're already underpaid right now, and we want them to do more work on top of all the work that they're doing. We want these churches to do more work on top of all the work that they're doing. As we know, our small businesses and nonprofits are not getting a cut of that that, that stimulus uh, small business pie. How are we going to compensate these people They care about their students, they care about their communities, but they are worth their hire as well. And and so I agree with you, but we need to figure out how we are gonna take care of
8: them people at the same time.
1: I agree, bro, I agree.
8: And we also have to look at it from a boots on the ground perspective. And what I'm saying is, in Warren County where I work, 40% of my county is not internet accessible but I have 120 churches in my county. So my technology director wrote a grant, at and we've won some hotspots. We're looking at a coverage map and we're gonna reach out to churches and say, hey, can I put a hotspot in your church so that we can help our kids be able to get online? Now, we made sure that when we went paper pencil, right after this hit, every child that we had got paper pencil, they got, you know, our teachers are making connections. The teachers are working hard too, y'all. You know, I'm I'm not trying to throw teachers under the bus. I'm married to a pre-K teacher. Let me tell you something, I'm tired of Zooming. She Zooms, when she Zooms with her children, I have to leave the house because it's loud, babies is yelling, she's excited, they're excited. That's what education is all about, okay? So the teachers are working extremely hard and many of them will tell you right now, I would rather go back in that school Then continue to do this because this is so much pressure, you know, because they're having to fill out telework sheets, they're having to fill out communication docs for their principals, they're having to do lesson plans. And don't forget, we still got to reach out and teach the babies, you know, somebody said this earlier. Let me tell you something. If you try to lecture online for 50 minutes, you have lost those children you lost them because you tried to lecture them 50 minutes when they were sitting in the classroom. It wasn't working then. It's not working now. So those are the things that we have to reform. We got to break down, but we got to put boots on the ground and do some simple things to help people understand, okay, we're making these changes. So 40% of my County doesn't have internet service. Okay. I'm going to hit these churches up. I love the Lord too, but let me hang this hotspot in the back of this church so I can get these babies, these Chromebooks and they can get online. All right, so I don't have to ask them to to come to a feeding site. You know, we we're a small county, but you know we fed uh, served over sixty thousand meals already. So we're trying to help people where they're hurting. You know, some of our babies, man, it ain't about that packet. It. It's not about that Zoom, y'all. It's about me finding out what I'm gonna eat and how I'm gonna survive. So that's what I mean when I say the rapport. Some of our calls from teachers are not about wow. education, education and what they're learning with curriculum, but just how you doing.
6: Yeah, you know, well, and, and,
8: and sometimes what we have to learn is this, and I'm gonna be honest and I'm gonna be quiet again. Not only do we have to look at the kids, but we have to look at the, the adults and say the same thing. Yeah. Some of us in this Zoom tonight might need somebody to call us up and say, Hey man, how you doing? You know, you know, when I got on, can you say Stu, how you doing? I said, girl, this stuff making my hair grow. You know, I ain't got none, but I feel it coming. (laughs) Y'all, that's where it's at. But a lot of people won't be honest and say, I am struggling with this. And I'm struggling with the enormity that there is a strong possibility that this is going to exist for a while. Mm -hmm. They're talking about going to school in August. What's that going to look like? Am I going to have to try to arrange schools where I have desks six feet apart? Are my children going to be A-day, B-day where I have half the school in this uh, Monday, uh, Wednesday, half the school in Tuesday, Thursday, everybody online Friday? We're trying to convert our schools in Warren County to be hotspots so people can pull in the parking lots and they can be able to uh, access the internet by doing it. So we're taking some common sense approaches to some monster problems. And and I think it was Dr. Ely who said this, this might not be fixed in my lifetime, but if I can leave it better than I found it, I think I've done my job. Yeah,
0: and I think one of the things too, just to add, that social emotional piece is that this is trauma. So that's a big word, but this is trauma. And some of our students, some of our teachers is really almost like grief, they're grieving. And I hate to say that because this has been a major loss. And I know that trauma is a big word and a lot of us don't like to use it. When I say, us. you know, you know doing a whole lot of you know gum flapping now, but that social emotional piece is, is what we really need now we're definitely going to need it after they you know, return so that's some of the things that we also need to begin to think about you know how are we going to address uh that social emotional part not only like you said Stu, for our students but before our teachers our, our teacher and our leaders as well dr barnes i saw you shaking your head did you want to address and listen dr garrett you were talking so dr garrett and dr barnes
10: Oh, I was um, in that part where we're discussing um, the grief and what everybody's dealing with as a part of this process, right? And even when we're talking about how hard the teachers work and how hard educators are working, you know, one of the things, especially, and I I can speak for myself and I'll appreciate any head nods for those who can agree. There was a part of this that was hard not to take personally when it happened, right? We fight hard for these babies every single day. And then something like this happens and you're trying your best. You're trying to make sure that you're building equitable environments. You're trying to correct uh, misconceptions and you're fighting the fight. And James, you know, I know how hard you, you know, you're fighting on a very public platform and fighting the day to day. Um, personas and personalities and just perceptions that people carry that inform every single thing that they do. And then when you're in the fight and you see that this happens and you're looking at your children and the babies that you serve and they're dealing with this, right? And so we were supposed to be their protectors. We were supposed to be um, the folks that created the safety for them And we're seeing all the holes. And you have to be very honest with yourself. What did we let happen, right? When I didn't take the opportunity to make this stand, when I didn't take the opportunity to make this choice, when I didn't take the opportunity to turn this around, when it happened, did that have an impact on what's happening with my children right now? And so one of my very first reactions when all of this took place, and it was a a, really strong processing that had to take place, right? Um, and trying to move through almost a virtual paralysis, like, what <laughs> Like, what are we supposed to do next? Got to do something, what is it supposed to be? Uh, but it's, don't let this happen again. This cannot happen again. And it's not that we foresee a pandemic happening again, but we foresee equity. We, are, we already knew the inequities were there, right? So, what is it that we're reimagining or imagining because we don't want to re what shouldn't have been? So, what are we imagining that makes sure that that doesn't happen to our children again?
0: Exactly. And
10: so, when we're talking about this process, and yes, there's a lot that falls upon leadership because, right, our teachers come from all walks of life and serving in the East as well. We know that every teacher doesn't walk through the door with a certificate in their hand. But back to that point of building capacity, yeah, we can go, into your point, purchase all the professional development we want to. Yeah, we could do that. Nothing changes without commitment, intentionality, and strategy. And if you're not moving in those three arenas, it's not getting ready to happen, right? So if we're not committed to the equity that we seek, right, and that's just not the conversation, that's we're looking at this thing right here in our faces. So what is our commitment to what we're seeing right now? Right? What's gonna be our intentional? The next move has to be the intention. And it's so far beyond making sure that they have devices. Right? That's on the surface. That's on the surface. How are we gonna impact what they leave our buildings and go home to? Right. So that they become empowered beyond this circumstance. And then it's the strategy. I don't have James Forbes platform, but you best believe when he uh, made his statement about grading at the state board, retweet. retweet. Let me throw this on Facebook, right? So, <laughs> That's right. That's right? so we can elevate the voices. Yeah. Right? And so that it is becomes a very clear message for our communities
4: mm-hmm.
10: that supports the work that we are doing in the buildings, right? So it's, it's all about the commitment, it's all about the intentionality, and it's all about the strategy. And it's not us you know, competing for the best teachers, it's not that. One of the things that we know is that African Americans thri- thrived in their communities where we supported and built ourselves and lifted each other. That's right. And that same thing has to happen for our children. They have to know that they have a community that I belong and that's preparing me to face the world beyond. And I'll tell anybody, one of the best choices I could have made was to go to North Carolina A&T State University. That was the first time in my academic career that I walked around a campus and I had a majority experience. Yeah.
7: I like that. Yeah, one thing that you said that I like, um, Dr. Gary, You like A and
10: T. You like
7: when I said A and No, University. Aggie pride, Aggie pride. <laughs> and I was also a, a fellow at Senator Smith, class of two thousand seven. But um, what I loved about I did marry an Aggie though. Well, I want to <laughs> let everybody know the best Aggie in the world, Benita Knight. Love you, baby. Anyway, <laughs> I <laughs> wanted to say that one thing that really um. <laughs> that really resonated with me is because I'm a big relationship person. I will say when, when um, can you use that word trauma? I feel like I went through a lot of that because I, I was robbed of a lot of relationships and I was rendered a little bit helpless because one way that I, I'm a big um, believer in accountability, but I'm also believing in um, care. So I believe in building a culture of accountability and care. And so one way that I was able to help my students make a lot of good choices, even when they made the wrong ones, it's to help them walk through, walk back through that poor choice and okay. teach them through all the alternatives that they had. And then once I coached them through that, then they were held accountable at a different time. But yes. one thing that I, I think a positive that has come out of this, even with the trauma and even with the grief is the community because it has forced a lot of the parents to realize that they are the first teacher. Mm. And it's also forced a classroom where there are now mirrors and windows, whereas in a lot of the school environments, there were only windows, where students were seeing a lot of things that when people that were not like them in their textbooks, in their literature books, in their science books, and their math books, but now they're back in their home and their, their home has been turned into a school and now there are mirrors all around them. So yeah. while they're learning about the people who are not like them, they're learning from the people who are like them because now their parents are their, first, are their teachers. And so now it has let the um, parents understand the value of what they're learning these eight hours a day in this building. And now that they're being forced to be at home and parents are really, really having to be hands on. And Not that some of them weren't, but some of them are having to be even more hands on than they were before. Now they're realizing what I'm doing with my child in my house is way more influential than what I thought. You know, I thought that they were doing all the learning these eight Mm -hmm. hours that they were in this building, but now I realize they're learning 24 seven, whether I'm teaching them or not. That's right. You know, and I think that even with all this trauma and even with all this grief, I think that an immense amount of respect has increased for the um, education profession, because I've seen a lot of people on social media, Instagram, and like all these self-proclaimed comedians on Instagram and Facebook, they... They're, they're being funny, but they're also being serious because they are telling us educators that they did not know what we went through yeah. those eight hours a day. Yeah. And now that they know, they are really, 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 when, you know, because they're praying that these buildings will open back up, but they have vowed <laughs> to us that when these buildings open back up, if and when these buildings open back up, that they will give us, they will throw their full support behind us mm. and anything we want that child to do, they're going to make sure their child does it. Yeah. But I think that's the thing that resonates with me the most is how community has responded in this global pandemic. Mm. Well, I want to I raise a question to all of you
11: and anyone can answer And I appreciate everything that everyone has shared. Um, so, I'm, I want to talk about what do we do immediately. Um, so, one of the questions that has come up, and I want to talk about what I'm seeing on Facebook Live as well, is how do we navigate the water, because Chris and Andre and James, all of you brought up some great points, but how do we navigate the water amid measures of state mandated assessment and accountability to do all those things that Chris talked about earlier? You know, we've got to go back prepared. And we want teachers to have that freedom and that passion to do all these amazing things. But how do we navigate the water? Because as a school administrator, you know, I know that my boss is going to be coming to me and say, hey, what's going on with the testing scores? You know, um, charter schools, you know, being closed because of testing scores. Schools are being given grades of F, letter grades of F because of testing scores. So my question to all of you would be, how do we immediately at this point go back and navigate the water uh, amid the measures of state state mandated assessments and accountability? You know, we got our station, we got reading 3D, we got all these things that they're looking at to determine whether or not your school is good or not.
2: May I, um, I? And I'm. This is just one opinion. Um, I'm, and I'm gonna sound like I'm beating the drum here, right? <laughs> I I really do think that we need to be involved in policy, education policy. Man, I stumbled my way into this. We used to deliberate in the break room uh, over lunch, over who was making the rules. You know, me and my colleagues. You'd be like, man, who made the rules to do testing this day? Who made the rules of this but we didn't know we were engaging in a policy discussion but we were you understand what i'm saying and so then when you become teacher of the year and they throw this microphone in your face and ask you it's like well i'm gonna start weighing in on the same things we were talking about in the break room and suddenly it's interpreted as oh that's a policy analysis we're already doing that the issue is whenever we talk nobody listens to us unless we're in the room so i'm going to encourage us to pay attention to those discussions when they happen. State Board of Education has a meeting tomorrow and on Thursday. A lot of the things you're talking about are within the purview of the State Board of Education. Some things are within the purview of the local Board of Education. Oftentimes, we don't have a presence there. And it's a lot of times for educators, man. When I was in the classroom, it was all I could do just to keep up with the obligations associated with the job, to be quite Mm -hmm. honest with you. And um, so it's no fault or lack of interest, right? It's just you're, you're engaged in what you're engaged in. But I will tell you, in terms of immediately, there's a task force that's been assembled to inform the process of reopening. Somebody said, what's reopening gonna look like? That's already being deliberated. Are we there? Is, is, your, is our perspective being taken into account? Because what ended up happening is, um, whether intentionally or not, we'll get handed a policy and we'll be told, this is how things are going to go. And we're going to react to it and say, well, how did this happen? Right? Mm-hmm. And so us making sure that we tune in, and I'm going to place a little agenda here in the chat so you can check it out and see what's going on, what we're going to be talking about tomorrow and, and on Thursday, but tuning in on uh, the, what's happening uh, not only in the state house, right, the rules that are being made there, but with the state board of education, your local board of education, because the rules of the game determine the outcome to, to a large degree. And so we got to start being present when the rules are made and just being able to organize with each other, whereby, you know, if I see my brother Oliver, who, you know, is doing big things, you know, uh, whether it's me coming out back when he's out, you know, out in Conway and hollering at his students, or whether us sitting down and chopping it up about, yo, what do you think needs to happen that we have that connection to where there's some cohesion right now. We're not, I mean, we're not very organized, but that can change.
0: Exactly. I have people on Facebook asking um, if we can share that agenda to our live.
8: So I want to address the question that was what do we do as far as getting ready to test and things like that? You must develop a systematic plan to disaggregate data to help you run your school. What you have to do and understand is you got to know, and, 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 and James just said this. He said, you have to get in so you know the game. Mm-hmm. You have to know how to play the game once you're in it. Yeah. So I'm going to teach you, I don't know, if I don't know the game, I can't win at it. So when I took over a school, we exceeded growth three years in a row. And people said, well, how did you exceed growth three years in a row? We learned how to play the game. We learned how to disaggregate data and it wasn't good enough for me to know the plan and the process. I then had to teach those in my mm-hmm. building. So my teachers knew this mm-hmm. is not an isolated thing. If you're telling me that you want to hit 80% as a school right. and you want your um, your science, you want eighth grade science to be at 80% or, or you're trying to make sure you exceed growth, you have to know the parameters and how to play the game so we can all get there. My eighth grade science was always gonna be my highest score because first of all, I knew that the cut score for eighth grade science in the state of North Carolina is one of the lowest around, okay? So I'll, that's gonna be something that's gonna help pull me up. I knew, cause I was in a five eight school, I knew fifth grade ELA has one of the highest cut scores around. Fifth grade ELA cut score is almost 80% to make a level three. So you have to know the game and know the rules of engagement. And now that I know that, I get to teach my teachers how to look at DOK and how to look at all of these other things, you know, and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And, and I'm going to get off of because I'm a data person, I'm a numbers person. That's that's where I I love that stuff. Uh, <laughs> but this is how you learn how to play the game. And once you learn how to play the game, you understand. You go to that fifth grade ELA teacher because she is pulling her hair out saying, Mr. Stewart, I will never get to 80% when my cut score is at 80. You say, baby, I don't need you to be at 80%. I just need you to grow children because that's number one thing. Everybody in this building has got to grow. So if you get that growth factor up to about 85% in your building, because Lord Andre may be four grade levels behind. Is Lord Andre going to be proficient on the EOG? it's not going to happen. But you can grow little Andre. Right. You grow him because this is what happens. If I can grow little Andre and then Oliver is sitting there, Oliver's a level five, mm-hmm. Oliver grows, he gets that level five, I get the growth. Guess what? The school gets both of our growth percentages and they get his level five. Mm-hmm. Okay, So you have to know the rules and, and look, anytime you, you email me, you call me, i tell you how to run those numbers. Because I know that game. you know, know the game I
4: that think they play. Learn, Andre, I think learning the game is, again, trying to play by the rules of the establishment. It Everybody is. knows policymakers, they don't know. They haven't visited a day in the classroom
0: mm-hmm. if
4: they want to base everything on high-stakes testing. True. And so anytime you have a formula that's based on 20% growth, Eighty mm-hmm. percent proficiency. Who would make up a formula like that, other than some average age sixty year old legislators who haven't been in a classroom since they graduated from high school? People, have, people who want us to fail. To the classroom here.
8: People who want us to fail and look bad <laughs> doing it.
4: Right, right. But as an educator, we've got to get away from high stakes testing because mm-hmm. all that testing shows. Is the schools who are resourced and the schools that are not resourced, mm-hmm. and when we look at what other states are doing, Virginia, Virginia, the mm-hmm. Commonwealth, um, because I teach there, you only have to pass one SOL in each content area. Correct. That means I only got if I pass Algebra One, I don't have to take the Geometry SOL, mm-hmm. I don't have to take the Algebra Two SOL. Mm-hmm. I'm done after I finished that high-stakes test. Mm-hmm. And I get to learn for the sake of learning, for the sake of knowledge. Because all of this high-stakes testing, it had made our students smarter. Right. And so what we have to do, rather than play the game their way or learn how to play the game, let's stop playing the game and create our own system for analyzing students. We can build capacities. <clears throat> In educators, by teaching them how to unwrap their curriculum, how to look at depth of knowledge, so that there is alignment between what is is, um, the curriculum that is written, taught, and tested. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of us don't have a fundamental understanding of that, but that's building capacity in our professionals so that students are learning and enjoying themselves learning so much so they ace any test you throw at them because you have made the curriculum so engaging and exciting that students want to learn. Now, I have a question I want to pose to everybody on this panel. As we talk about reimagining, as an engineer. I used to recreate systems for optimization okay and as we look at recreating a system how do we imagine public education moving forward we have survived without testing we are placing our students this year into whatever grade they're going to be in and we didn't rely on an grade test We didn't rely on an in-the-course test. We only relied on how that student was performing. So as I reimagine education, I know as a teacher, this is one of the exciting times that I am approaching this upcoming um, opening year and um, a new calendar year, because I know that the students will come with a different type of appreciation. Um, I know that parents have experienced what we deal with and they truly know that those those who can do but those who do it best we teach they have a whole new love for us and appreciation <laughs> and I do too I do too yeah. after having you know to, to learn to tutor so what we we have to look at is as we imagine education and as a um, secondary math specialist I am looking at what colleges are doing um, many of our colleges students who are taking math they get to see their professor one day a week. The other days of the week, they're in lab. It used to be you went to lab one or two days a week and you were with your teacher the other days of the week. But as we're looking at the flipping and what's going on in education, my question would be looking at ways that we can expand the ways we educate children and assess them, not based on filling in bubbles, but how about we have one day a week Where we have experiential learning. And that experiential learning is different by grade band. For high school students, they can take that one day a week to do a mentorship, building soft skills, partnering with a business, um, doing an internship. For middle school students, they get to do some sort of career exploration. Elementary students get to do an exploratory learning in the community. They get to go to the zoo. They get to go to a museum. And then they have to report back their findings. On uh, that day, we can rely on partners in the community, whether it's through the churches, whether it's through the Chamber of Commerce, whether it's through a large volunteer cohort. But that day, teachers get to... To work on professional development while their students are learning outside of a building. Because when this pandemic comes around again, we're gonna be faced with the same challenges of not being in a building. And so how can we first, we need to make sure We are engaging students and teaching them how to access education, how to access online learning, because whether we like it or not, the future is here. Digital technology is here and we've got to embrace it in our curriculum plans. We got to make sure that everybody has a device. We need to make sure that everybody has access. And then moving forward, how can we incorporate technology in what we are doing with our students? Not only with our students, what I have been impressed by, and I think Shantae said this earlier in the chat, look at how families now are engaged in learning. I never thought, I would, my mother is not even on Facebook, but we got her to do a TikTok video and TikTok. it was great. Right. <laughs> and if we can get an octogenarian and 80 year old woman who has never been on the internet to do a TikTok video. I'm just seeing the the excitement for students. Now before the pandemic two or three years ago I was engaging my geometry students on Instagram Promoting a problem solution, here's the first step. Somebody post the second step. Somebody post the third step. So, what we have to do is make sure every child can access the technology. And then we've got to equip our professionals to be able to hone their craft and understand what teaching is about mm-hmm. in this digital age. And then we have to engage our community partners. And I would love to see us get from being tied into a building and looking at ways we can expand the educational experiences of our students. And we don't get to know how much a child learns just by looking at how well they can bubble in on a standardized test, knowing that it's set up for them to fail anyway. Mm -hmm. And as as a parent, I want all students to grow we've got to stop focusing on um just making sure that we meet growth with the level ones twos and threes but i want every child challenged even the academically gifted and so in order to do that we've got to find another way to assess students and it can't be on high stakes testing
9: i just want to point out my my father-in-law was uh Assistant Superintendent, I'm still going to call you Senator Abram. Um, <laughs> at least I call your other sister. The twins, y'all all messed me up. Uh,
4: hey, yeah. call me anything but Monica. Okay? I got you.
9: <laughs> <laughs> but, but just to that point for a couple of seconds, uh, my father-in-law, <laughs> God rest his soul, was Assistant uh, Superintendent in T County in the 90s. And uh, after his death, I was cleaning up. And uh, when I got into education, we started cleaning up files and stuff. And I found the printouts from DPI where they listed the lower performing districts in the state of North Carolina. This was from the 90s. And unfortunately, now some of those same districts are the same districts that are categorized by this, I still like to call it unstandardized testing. And, but I worked in a lot of those districts and there's no way that you can't tell me that those kids in those districts weren't growing. And so that goes to the point that we all in this room have talked about standardized testing is not standard for people of color. We've got to continue to find different ways to assess our students. Uh, Dr. Boone and I sitting here, we've had conversations with our individuals um, in our district since we've gone to this digital learning platform. And we have students of color who parents are telling us the assignments and ways that you are instructing our kids now. I've never seen my child do this much work. I've never seen my child be engaged because we're utilizing different platforms as we started talking about up here today. Our teachers are using the TikTok, the teachers are using Instagram, the teachers are connecting on those media platforms that Dr. Uh, Greg and and Dr. Ely and Dr. Stewart and were sharing earlier. It's about us changing how we do business. We all in here to heard about Insanity. It's continuing to do the same thing as we all know. And I think that once we break that cycle and get away from standardized testing, uh, that's going to make a big difference. So I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to mute myself because I
0: don't want to start preaching. So that was really good. But I do want to hear from because I want to make sure that we all have a voice because we have so many. Listen, we got great people up here. I want to hear from uh, Miss Barnes, Dr. Barnes, Dr. Wolfter. Um, Benita. I say Benita, we had some that had to leave. They, they sent me a message to let me know that they had to leave. And then I want to share some of the responses um, from Facebook. And um, so you can kind of hear what some of the questions. One of the questions that I can see right off, it says, great point. And this was to you, um, Erica. I don't, Did Erica leave? No, I can see it. Erica, this was to you. It said, great point. Do you think the, and I can't say this word, so somebody help me, bureaucracy? Did I say it right? Okay, good. Do you think that the uh, b- bureaucracy and public education will allow for such changes that you're speaking about? Um, Monica, do you want to jump in or you want
12: me to answer? <laughs> I was <this>? just about <laughs> <one>. I was <laughs> for that one. <laughs> the only way we're going to change the bureaucracy is if we are active in being a part of the change, being the people who need to be out there as catalysts, pushing the politicians, lobbying who we need to lobby. And if we need to send an email every other day to the General Assembly, when they start looking at the budget and when they start making decisions about what it looks like in public education after COVID-19, that is what we absolutely are gonna have to do because we have to start with the foundational opportunities of fixing and removing those barriers and challenges that we know are a part of the inequities. Once we identify those, let's continue to have those conversations. And we're gonna have to be the experts to say, this is what you need to do, and here is why, and here's the proof for that. We're not gonna be concerned about test scores. We open up in the fall or in the winter, whenever we do, we're not even gonna be thinking about the Read to Achieve tests or any of the integrated in the courses. We're going to be thinking about now, how do we recover and how do we kick off school and how do we continue to look at closing the learning gaps? And we will still have, we can have all the donations of hotspots and, and access to the internet mm-hmm. until we address those dead zones. We know in Northeastern North Carolina, and specifically just the counties that some of us are from and that we've lived in who are on this panel discussion, we can't even, we don't even have a cell phone tower. You know, Century Lincoln and other people have said, "I will we'll give you free access." But what's the point if you can't even access? We don't have a power that we can tap into. We have Chromebooks available to students, but it's a dead Chromebook that you got to work with offline because there's nowhere and no way for them to connect. So we've got to address and systemically work on these are the areas. Identify them. And let's come up with some solutions, and then let's hound the politicians, who are the ones in the power to make those decisions, to continue to push that they've got to do something.
0: That's right, Tasha. You answer your own question. That was a good question you have up here. So I'm, I, I'm sorry, she, Barnes Shakiria Barnes. I'm Tasha. I'm sorry. See, see. which one is Tasha? I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Shakiria Barnes. That's my fault. Um, your question was. Um, and how do we support the ongoing and critical social and emotional needs that will increase? And I think that goes along with, with, um, with what Bonita is asking. She's saying, and how do we meet the social emotional needs of our scholars and staff um, returning to our buildings?
13: Like, I don't know a golden answer for that, but that's definitely something that has been reoccurring in my mind as my assistant principal and I met today briefly, just to talk about where we are. It's kind of like you have to slow down to speed up a little bit right now. I think we're putting a lot of variables out there at schools about instruction and what do we do? How do we recover from not testing? And how do we, we're already talking about how do we get these students assessed as soon as they come back? But who's to say they're going to be in an emotional and, and space where they'll be able to even sit down and take any of these assessments. So I'm thinking about staff right now, that's struggling, you know, people reaching out, teachers, you know, today is not a good day for me or these past few days, I lost a family member from this virus and now I'm unable to sit in front of my class and Zoom because I'm an emotional train wreck. First of all, thank you for having the force to even come and say that to your principal, because that's a hard thing for us as adults to do. So if you think about a child who cannot regulate his or her emotions, as well as an adult, coming back to school after such uh, a long period of time without um, what they consider to be normal or consistent, is something that we're gonna have to put a lot of consideration and work around. So I, I think we kinda gotta, Keep in mind, well, we do have to keep in mind the academic piece, but what's going to really move that dial is addressing the social and emotional needs. We can't do any of that Maslow stuff without, you know, the hard work first of, of dealing with the emotions that the kids are having so when are we going to address that when are we going to talk shakira. about that and when we're we going to talk about how we fund those additional supports for those schools because that, that has been pretty much the least part of any conversation that i've heard across this state right now.
12: shakira i'd like to address that that is something that actually right now having uh the opportunity to be retired Retired educator that's, that'll be soon back full time. But um, as I'm doing some consulting across Northeastern North Carolina, one of the schools I'm working with, we're actually having professional development every week around the social uh, social emotional learning of our students when they return. That is one solution. We, we, we have by now, hopefully, because initially a lot of us were doing PD on helping people learn how to use Zoom, for one, yeah. um, how to use WebEx, do Go-to meeting, do a conference call. So once we got beyond that, we know that in the population that we all serve as educators, we are going to have to address those immediate emotional needs of students returning, yeah. as well as the staff, but we've got to build that capacity of the staff. And it's a good time to start that now. And especially, I would recommend to some of the um, educators who are working in schools now, K-12 especially, is to talk with administrators, if you aren't an administrator, and some of the monies that we have available, spend it out on those, finding those experts that can do that professional learning with your staff before money, before the legislators like uh, Senator Smith Mm -hmm. Um, have to get that message (laughs) out there that money's going to be reverted because it will be reverted and budgets Mm -hmm. will be cut this upcoming school year. So we need to be proactive about that.
11: I just also posted a statement that we must also utilize our school counselors um, in this capacity as well because they are great resources and we must empower and support their roles in the school too in terms of social emotional learning for both students and staff.
0: That's right. I don't
3: know about you all, but um, just looking at that just made me think. I've, I've been remote um, for the last couple of weeks, but just trying to go in once a week. And, I, you know, I'm used to having my whole house as a space. And I went into my office. I'm not a person that likes to sit down. I'm not looking at the four walls. And I went in to work last Monday, and I just, it seemed like I just could not sit in that room. I was, I mean, I was just, it felt like the walls were closing on me. It's bad enough I'm confined to the house, but at least I can go outside, go in the backyard. So I'm wondering, you know, when our students come back, you know, I heard somebody talking about sitting there ready for Zoom. What is it going to look like when I have to come back and sit in a traditional classroom? I'm not ready to go back to working eight to five. I'll be honest. I'm not not ready for that right now. You know, I've gotten used to where I am so just thinking about me as an employee having to rethink and get myself together. I know that the teachers are not going to be ready most of them because they've gotten used to their schedule and so have the students so it's, it's going to be a big shift for all of us. I'll be the first to admit I like waking up late. <laughs> Or working, or working when it's flexible for me instead of working on a designated timeline. I work well in the evening and at nighttime, so I don't, you know, I don't have a problem getting up, going somewhere, and just sitting and working. But, you know, I I'll be the first to admit that that change is going to be hard for all of us.
5: Yeah, I I know that uh, two weeks before COVID closed our schools, on one of the boards that I serve upon. I had fostered um, a conversation that we were all hoping uh, that we're moving to an initiative to provide some social, emotional wellness care for our instructors and uh, for our administrators. And uh, while I do understand and I agree that our students, Will be that their needs will be very high um, in those areas. I also know that healthy teachers make healthy classrooms.
0: That's right. There you
5: go. And it works in the reverse as well. Right. And I am—I'm really concerned. There's a burden on me, and it was already there before this, and now given this, I am um, really concerned that there are going to be a lot of instructors and a lot of administrators um, and support staff mm-hmm. that are just not going to be in the right headspace. I feel like they've been jerked around in all of this. They were told with days to prepare if that, you got to do this now, you got to do that now, you got to do this and you got to check in like this, and you got to report like this and you got to do this for your students. and. Um, you know, a lot of our teachers are not veterans. A lot of our teachers are lateral entry. A lot of our teachers are still in their second and third year. Um, and so what we were talking about at that time was, you know, meeting the demands of the social emotional needs of our educators, perhaps we can turn to. Uh, people within our community, such as our clerics, such as our yeah. pastors, you yeah. know, um, not only our are, are licensed uh, psychologists and things like that, but there are pastors that are licensed to provide pastoral care and counseling and all of that. We're going to have to be very creative in looping in that community as well. And again, I'm advocating that we don't expect the most from the people who have the least because we always do that. That's right. um, one of our brothers so poignantly, I think it was uh, Brother Elay, Brother Peter, uh, you know, he was, he was making a point that um, we, we pay these people, t- we pay highly qualified, certified, and we know what that means, credentialed. Experts to do work that they don't actually execute Uh, One of my greatest fears in life is to be ineffective.
0: Yes
5: (laughs) You know, like that's that's as a pastor I do not want to ever sound like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal to people who need meat who need spiritual food (laughs) Mm -hmm. and as a teacher Um, as a community organizer, as an activist, actionist, all of that is that even if it's talking to two people and not 2,000, that that conversation is an effective conversation. And I think that um, a lot of times the effective people are not always the super credentialed, Mm. but they're doing a lot of the work that our kids and And people and stakeholders in our community need, and so as we reimagine, and uh, Dr. Garrett made an excellent point, that some of that stuff we don't need to read. We need to just think forward. And I heard you, sister, um, I think that we need to loop loop these people in as well because they have a lot to offer our teachers um, and our administrators. Uh, in this whole socio-emotional crisis that we need to anticipate
0: yes so I have one one question from their <laughs> there are questions up here but I'm just going to pick this one and then we're going to um, figure out how we're going to wrap this thing up mm-hmm. um, so the question starts this way some districts are dealing with high numbers of apathy within their student population including missing children, um, students who have shown zero activity online, how do schools use the opportunity to increase parent involvement when students return to school? Well, I'll jump in on that one
4: it was shared earlier about using the US Postal Service and we need to use it right away because we don't know if the Postal Postal Service is going to survive this administration. And so, that's real, that's real, we got to pray pray for the post office. But That re-engagement, that's what I was talking about when I was talking about looking at ways that we can strengthen the educational heritage in our culture. And that means each one's got to reach one. We have to rely on the village. There is no reason why we can't, um, even if it's just two people in the car, one in the front seat, one in the back seat, but we need to go out there and find these students. Um, we need to make sure we can look at ways for um, us to, to have at least one cell phone that's prepaid or that works, where the school system can get in touch with that child. We need to find those children now. We have to rely on our um, partners in the community. If we are looking for grants and nonprofits, that needs to be a factor. But we gotta go out and find these children. We need to find them now. Uh, We don't need to wait until August to try to find them because we gotta make sure that they report back. And so in the meantime, while we are locating students, we need to locate resource centers within our um, community centers, within our YMCA's, within our churches, to make sure that there is a hotspot where those students, near that student's address, where they can access so that we can keep in contact with them. With um, the digital age, once we get we're pretty much going to have to treat internet as a utility, um, particularly for low-serving areas like Eastern North Carolina. But um, those are the things that that I was saying, when we re-engineer what education is going to look like, that is a solution. That's something that has to be solved. We've got to locate these students, and we've got to connect them. Um, and we can't, you know, we can't just give up until every child is accounted for that is our responsibility it's in our state constitution and if we need appropriations for that we need to demand that at the legislature one quick thing i wanted to throw in teachers have to recognize the power that we have the lobby day on May 1st of 2019 was so powerful, they rewrote two pieces of legislation just to address teachers. They cha- Y'all changed the law with Red for Ed. They were so upset that teach and they were so fearful that teachers would go on strike. Now I know we're a right to work state and you can't strike, but anytime you're assembling to speak power to your agenda, Causes the legislature to change the law so that you can't lobby on a school calendar day, where um, an instructional day lets you know how much power you have. And this is an election season coming up. 2020 is going to be huge, provided we have an election and not have to do mail-in ballots or some other um, trickery. We have got to make sure we leverage the power that we have to effect the policy that we need to build and. An education system that works for all of us, especially Black and Brown children.
0: Yes, right. And Erica, to you. your point, Margaret Powell, a big, big component of a big part of NCAE. She says here on Facebook that um, that it is difficult for full-time educators to advocate for policies for the reason that you just said. Uh-huh yeah
6: one thing i want to add just to piggyback on what um sister erica I'm sorry, said you can
0: lobby with your vote you can lobby with your vote for real okay we have two minutes we have two minutes before we have to wrap it up
6: one thing i just wanted to piggyback off what sister erica said you know this this book called the bible that a lot of us heard about says that he that shows himself friendly has what well, has friends and and that's one of those things is that we have the internet we have facebook we have all these things but it's nothing like picking up that phone and actually calling somebody and getting rapport with these parents um in that you talk to mom you talk to grandpa or whoever the case may be and actually have that conversation with them hey just thinking about you was wondering about little andre And just that with that parent, that connection, that's enough for them to say, look, Andre, your teacher called today, and you need to come over here and do this, this, and that. Because some parents still, especially in the northeastern North Carolina part, still do have that kind of rapport with their children, Mm. but they feel so disconnected. And we'd rather send out a a mass email. Trust me, I get it. It's easier. But it's one thing for me, like I said, especially like at HBCUs, when we pick up the phone and we call somebody versus this texting thing, um, uh, you know, versus texting and really making that connection that they actually hear the, the sincerity in my voice and that I actually took the time out to call you. And that's why I think when Dr. Endon um, brought up the, uh, the letter, I mean, somebody wrote me a letter the other day. I hadn't received a letter in probably 10 years, a handwritten letter like that. Made me give them some more money. That's what they did. Yeah. And like I said, so it's effective. Um, and like I said, we talk about Save the Post and we joke about it, but it really is effective because it's, it's an anomaly now, right? Because we get all these other emails and all this other stuff that we just throw away. Um, so, again, just actually reaching out, um, as Brother Knight said, connecting with people. You know, I'm one of those people, too. I'm a hugger. I don't know what I'm going to do, bro. You know what i I mean, I hug all my students and we all and they all grown. So, you know, it's the same thing. And like, and we, we imagine these spaces now. We talk about FSU when we come back you know, that they're going to have to be so far apart and all this kind of thing. And we going one day a week, and then they're going to be online one day a week. And then we're going back and forth trying to figure these things out. And even more important for us is me trying to send teachers to you all, right? You know, how do we get them trained in the space? I got to train them online. We can't bring them into the class. And there's so many other legal battles. And if one person gets sick, now we all in trouble. And so- then the, even the next, the pipeline for new teachers that we're talking about the ones we have now, even the pipeline is now in jeopardy and actually how are we gonna do that? And um I, and I'm just so grateful for you all providing this space and us engaging that together. And if you have any ideas, please shoot them our way so that we can build this pipeline and get you the students and the teachers that you, you so desperately need um, to be able to teach our children throughout this whole state of North Carolina. So I would just say, um, I know it's exhaustive. It's going to cost you a lot of you know, physical time, but reach out and call some of these people and you'll be surprised at some of the responses you would get just by picking up the phone.
0: That's very true. I'm going to read, and I can't pronounce his last name, but it's from Kevin. And his last name is spelled um, P-O-I-R-I-E-R. <laughs> Kevin, I hope I said that correctly. But Kevin said that this is the best conversation on public education that I've heard um, on, Zoom, on a Zoom call thank you all for hosting this so i think that that is um that speaks to um i think what is needed uh, what people want to hear at this time and what they um they want to hear a solution they want to they want results and even though i don't know we gave a lot of information we shared a lot we shared our hearts um and hopefully they took something from this that they can take back to their schools and parents maybe feel a little Um, Comfortable, but just have this having this engaging conversation. I think is what is needed. You know,
5: Grant, uh, what 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 was needed was so many Aggies to come to the
11: table, (laughs) to
5: the conversation. And you knew what you was doing, sister.
7: going to hang up now. <laughs> going to hang up now. <laughs> it was nice talking with you all. It was nice right. with you all.
6: That's how you rule a good cake roll. right there to eat now. Cake anymore. has been done. Cake pull, has been baked. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh. no, my goodness. put because they can't see it. There you go. No, Listen, no, now no, the host no, being messy. No, my the host
11: hurts. is being
0: messy now. She's my messy. <laughs> now. <laughs> I don't mean any harm, but this is what it is. If you notice, Holly, how many of us was up here?
5: And what high school did y'all what what Don't high school is that?
0: that well, well let me that, uh, let me
12: show you all how it's <laughs> yeah. done in what's Trojan Lane.
0: <laughs> oh. this long Trojan
12: right no. here.
6: Oh my going to show God.
12: you all. Oh no. Oh,
6: evidently the talk is <laughs> over now. <laughs> 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 yeah,
7: when you my <laughs> feedback is, is going to be this was very very a university biased. <laughs> I'm
12: not, I'm not I agree that. Knight. I <laughs> agree with you so uh as we in and wrap up this session, um, which I'm the kind of timekeeper for Miss um, Kenya Grant, who's the yes, facilitator Lisa, of before this. before you say that,
0: Doctor Woofter, let me say this: just <laughs> so you know, Doctor Woofter bosses me around. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kenya. Where, where did you, you all know, get your masters and doctorates
3: from, though? That's all I'm
4: saying. <laughs> <laughs> came
0: over He, he, oh, wow. he Thank has been me. a for like, for <laughs> four years now. And when I tell you, she gets me straight, let me tell you what she did to me, y'all. So, we, and this is real quick. She sent me a text. Message, I don't know. I just have a habit of doing this. She sent me a text. Will you please take your hand down? <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> and so, listen, every time I start doing this, I'm like, oh my God, you know, just out of fear that she's going to send me another message to tell mm. me to get myself together. So, Mm -hmm. Go ahead on and close us up. Right, right. And the last message was, we are running out of time. (laughs) So we all, Mr. Mr. Dr. Harris, you all helped me with the questions that we did not even get to. We didn't. We didn't get to one of the questions. I thank you so much, Dr. Garrett. Like you just was like, you can do it. You can do it. And and even though I was so scared to do it, I appreciate you all so much. You don't even. know
12: it's been a great session and so I know this is hard for all of us but I want us to end with one parting word phrase or sentence one parting word phrase or <laughs> sentence and I'll start it off I thought we were out of time. as we're closing that's right this is our ending close out and wrap up So and, and Peter, my parting message that I want to share with everyone is. Be a part of the change that we want to see.
0: Yes.
7: I would say um, that situations like this don't create who we are. They reveal who we are. So Just remember that. Wow.
3: I would say be a present and consistent voice to speak what you want to see.
6: In the, the words of that famous songwriter, John, um, James Cleveland, this too will pass. Okay. Hey,
3: James Cleveland.
9: I think I'll jump in. I think the one thing that I say all the time, you know, every child is important. And uh, as long as we keep that in mind, that'll guide us in everything that we do. Just make all our decisions about the best for all our children.
4: I would um, part with this sentence. Necessity is the mother of all inventions. And we have to invent a reimagined educational system by any means necessary. Mm-hmm.
5: Um, I'll say that uh, when I think about what reimagining is, I think about vision work, and with this conversation and so many great things that Christ has brought about in the midst of Corona, I would say that it took a vision to reveal, it took a virus to reveal vision.
11: Oh, wow. That's
7: good.
11: I would like to say uh, as a final word, um, let's stay focused and keep the focus on kids. It's all about children.
10: I'm going to say um, design thinking is key. We need to design with all of our stakeholders in mind, especially our scholars.
0: Definitely. But I think for me, it's just grace being able to show grace at this time, not only with ourselves, but with um, the people that we serve, students, teachers, everyone.
10: And I would say, um, <laughs> that's so funny, Kenya, grace is not for granted, grace is for action.
13: Mm-hmm.
10: And so with everything that we're learning through this, there are some actions that have to come out of this. Yes.
0: yes all right and listen i don't still
8: yes oh keep fighting for our babies just keep <laughs> fighting for our babies that's all yes however you do it just keep fighting for our babies right.
0: listen that's dr harrison uh that's his song y'all check out his song fight um he has an album coming out real soon. i'm excited about it but y'all check out his song fight it's, a, it's, a, it's it'll, it'll keep... <laughs> featuring my husband <laughs> <laughs> <Kenya. laughs> yeah, hey. But Nita said, don't do that, Miss Grant. <laughs> yes, and, and night is there too. It's-
12: Kenya, shout out to you.
0: Thanks for oh, allowing yes. us to be a part of this. Absolutely. Summer, oh, thank
10: you. Would thank you. It's amazing.
0: Thank you. I'm so glad that you all are in my circle. Listen, one thing I do know, I would rather have you on my team than not. You huh. all are some powerhouses, okay? All right? And to have you in my corner means so much to me. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, later on in the year, in the school year, maybe next year, whatever, we can all meet up again um, to, to do something like this again. And so Dr. Ely would like for you to drop your emails um, in this conversation piece in the chat room. And Facebook Live, I thank you all for participating. At one point we had 144 people um, online on my side. I'm not sure if those of you who had watch parties, how many people were with you. But at one point we did, we are now down to 52 from what I can see. Um, a lot of people are saying great conversation, great sessions. So it, it's been a positive feedback.